0: Hi, I'm Abby Ellsworth. I'm a civilian interviewing law enforcement from around the country. Today's interview is a special episode I lined up in reaction to the devastation of Hurricane Ian. Joining me for the second time on the podcast is Drew Breezy. Drew retired as a lieutenant a little over a year ago from the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office, which covers Tampa, Florida and its surrounding area. He has launched a social media channel called Drew Breezy Uncuffed, which is, as he describes it, the unapologetically honest opinion of a retired police lieutenant. He's also appearing on Failure to Stop, which you can find on YouTube and which we'll talk about more at the end of the episode. Drew originally joined me on episode 31. So Drew, welcome back. I think you are my first returning guest.
1: Oh, man, what an honor. It's it's always a pleasure to talk to
0: you. Thank you. Same. As I said in the open, this is kind of a special episode. You're in the Tampa area. I saw that you commented that your where you live wasn't so devastatingly hit by Ian as areas south of you. Correct. What I wanted to cover is, you know, as, as viewers from around the country, we're watching the devastation, we're watching the news coverage. We see police, we see fire, EMTs, paramedics, other civilians helping people. But there is a first responder we don't see. And you made a comment about this, which I'd like you to share here because it really struck me.
1: The first responder that you don't see, in my opinion, are the first first responders. If you'll recall from the episode I did before, I started out as a dispatcher way back uh, a long time ago. I was an emergency dispatcher. And then I I was fortunate enough to have a robust law enforcement career where I ended up uh, being promoted to lieutenant. And I was put right back in charge of the same communication center where I started. And what that did was it afforded me the opportunity to take a very deep dive into some of the traumas and just quite frankly, the maltreatment of what emergency dispatchers or emergency telecommunicators go through on a nightly or daily basis. And as it related to the hurricane, I just wanted people to to know or to think about uh, these emergency dispatchers, 911 operators are listening to people drown quite literally. This happened when I worked in the communication center you know, when I was running the place, we had two separate incidents where people drove their cars into water and their cell phones worked up into the point in one case where the person drowned. And then a couple of weeks later where the person was saved. But it's a very harrowing experience to hear somebody's pretty much last living words and the terror that's in their voice. And that's one of the things that I really don't think that a dispatcher or an emergency call taker will ever get out of their head, or get out of their system. And it's understandable.
0: Well, let's go through what it's like. You've done the job. Let's make let's help people understand what these people are experiencing. So, also to for people who don't know, and I want to make sure I've got it right. There's nine one one call takers who call, who talk to civilians. And then there are dispatchers who talk to law enforcement or fire. But Correct. you said sometimes the 911 call taker is also the dispatcher. It just depends on the size of the department.
1: It really does. It, it depends on the manning and it, it depends on the size of the department. There are places that have, you know, maybe one or two people working in their entire communication center, because the, that's what the, you know, that's what the uh, the number of of assets kind of demands. So if there's only you know, a, a two-man police department. Obviously, they're they're probably just going to have one dispatcher that does everything that, that takes the calls from the citizens. And while they're taking the calls from the citizens, they're on the radio talking to the police officers or firefighters, trying to get them, you know, guide them into where they need to be. In the, in the call center I worked in, it was uh it was kind of large. We would probably have anywhere from uh, seven to nine people working the nine one one. Phones. You'd have other people working the non-emergency lines because plenty of people still call law enforcement agencies for non-emergency purposes. And then each sector or district had a, a team of either two or three dispatchers. The dispatchers that, as you described, spoke on the radio. So that's kind of the layout. And then there's usually uh, two or three supervisors or managers in a size uh, in an agency that size. So. Just as you described, you know, not everybody is taking nine one one calls. Though most have the ability to do so if uh, if things start to get overflow.
0: And so, walk me through what happens. the The storm starts to hit, or people are finding themselves, as you said, in situations where they might. I don't want to be graphic or trigger anybody, but literally drowning. So, is it possible to walk me through how a call like that goes without being? Insensitive to uh, someone's tragedy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it bears discussion, and I, I think that is the sensitivity to the tragedy, in my opinion. Uh, like we're we're giving it, we're giving it its reverence by calling nine one one. I mean, w- what else do you do in an emergency? I mean, this is what we've been programmed since since ver- a very young age. A lot of us. I mean, like you pick up that phone and you dial nine one one, and the cavalry is going to come and save you. The problem is in a storm situation like that the cavalry is not always able to come save you so at that point it just becomes it's just a phone conversation with with somebody on on one end who wants to help you but can't and then uh, somebody on the other end that needs help but can't get it to state the obvious this is a helpless situation but but like even in the situations where you can send someone to get help it's bad enough for these emergency dispatchers to have to try to to get information off of the people who are in their probably in their worst crises of their their lives. And all you want to do is that as that emergency call taker is get the help to them. And there are probably times where in your soul, you just want to reach through the phone and be there and put their put your hand on the shoulder or help do CPR or do whatever you need to do, but you can't. You have to keep your wits about you because you're literally their lifeline at that point. It, it weighs on you when you're when you're on the phone with somebody and you're trying to build a rapport with somebody who's who's literally dying on the other end of a phone. But they're the first first responders. They're the ones that get the first response going. And
0: so in a situation like this, what kind of, Conversation? Can do they have with someone? What did they tell them to do? I mean, you try to establish where they are.
1: Yes. Yeah, I, I can. I, the, the only experience I can relate to, I, I haven't heard specific phone calls of. I've heard that people that nine one one call takers were taking phone calls of people that were drowning in this storm specifically. The only ones I can give examples for are the two that that I had when I worked up in the communication center, the, the two different call takers. And it is exactly like you described. They're just trying to get information out of them. Like, what was the last thing you remember? Like, where where do you think you drove into this pond? Where are you? Are you near your home? Like, those types of questions. And um, surprisingly, people are, you know, have their wits about them. But um, there was just, you know, the the, the one instance, the, the lady I mean, unfortunately said, no, this is it. It's over. I mean, the water's getting too high. I I, I'm going to go like, and, and, and the phone just dies out. I mean, and what do you do at that point? You just, you're sitting there slack jawed, like did everything you could do. And, but you don't, you don't process it that way. And then, then a couple of weeks later we had uh, a similar situation where the dispatcher learned from the first one. She learned from the other call and she just remained calm. And she talked the person through it. Like, tell me where you are. Can you get on your phone? And can you hit Google? Can you hit the pin on Google and tell me what your, you know, your coordinates are basically. And, and she became a national hero for that phone call because she, uh, the way she spoke to the person on the other end of the phone, she saved her life. She kept her calm. She and luckily the water didn't rise to the to the roof or to the level where the the person was trapped in the car. And again, luckily we had members of our underwater recovery team pretty close by, and and they found this vehicle very quickly and they saved her life in a dramatic fashion. But you wow. know, this is this is the other um, probably unspoken. Uh, thing that, uh, that, that dispatchers go through, you're, you're either the hero or the goat. And, and, and like, even though they don't look at it that way, or they shouldn't look at it that way, because it's all luck of the draw. You, you have, you pretty much have a hundred percent chance of dealing with something traumatic every time you work, but it's all luck of the draw. And so here you have one young lady who takes a phone call where, you know, here's the dying words of somebody who's drowning in, in her car. And then, a couple of weeks later, you, you <laughs> she, yeah. this other one talks the person through, and she keeps a level head, and she's rescued, and she's on Good Morning America, and she's you know the the woman of the month for the local news station, and you know how, how do you how do you look the other one in the face and tell yeah. her like, hey, you did just as good. It's just right. that you know it just didn't work out the same way.
0: And what does that? I mean, I know you can't speak for other people, but you can. I, you have experience doing this. So when that call ends and you, for that first dispatcher, and it ends with this person's death, you walk away from that feeling what?
1: It depends on the person. I, I, it's been my experience that, that emergency call takers in general are incredible at compartmentalizing you can't necessarily just get up and throw your headset down and, and, (laughs) you know, go for a walk. I I always use the same example about cops. Like if you, if you deal with a a bad call, you, you have a couple options. You can go behind the convenience store and cry your eyes out, or you you can find a serene lake and pray, or you can go home or you can, um, you know, there's just several options because you're in a car or you can vent to your partners or you can listen to a funny podcast. You can do something to take your mind off of it. The, the, the emergency call takers have to sit there with that headset on and unbeknownst to them, that tone goes off in their ear and they've got to start the cycle all over again. I mean, th- there is, I, I, I don't want to overplay it. Um, th- there is probably the ability to get up and walk around and not just look at the four walls and, you know, look at each other. And sometimes you just need a breather. You can't, there's only so much that the human brain can process. But um, on the whole, you start to feel guilty, not sitting at your console after a while, like, and and I completely get it. I completely understand why it's it is a mental beating. And um, they're not treated with the same respect that that a first responder is treated with.
0: Well, and also, as you said, you're looking at a screen, it's not like if the call ends and the person says, I'm not going to make it, the dispatcher doesn't know maybe someone has come up and saved this person. You know, exactly. I mean, there, there's no visual, they're, they're not physically there. So it, the, the wondering has to be difficult.
1: It, it's, uh, there's a lot of filling in the blanks in that profession in general. So, yeah. I, I mean, th- 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 there are times when you just hear a scream mm-hmm. and no one's able to speak and you don't know, you know, if they're on a cell phone, you might not be, you might not be given the cell phone position of where they are. And you're, so now you're hearing something, you you know, something bad's happening, whether it's a medical emergency or a police emergency, and you can't talk to them. You can't get them to communicate, but they knew enough to call 911 you're laying that burden on somebody, which is, I mean, completely understandable. That's how pe- lives are saved. But, you know, you're, you're kind of laying that burden on someone who can't help you because they don't know where you are. It's, it's probably the hardest thing in the world to have to disconnect that phone without hearing a, a, an emergency responder on the other end of it. You do bring up a good point though. We're in the next generation. Of, uh, we're in what's called next generation 911, NG 911. That's what's coming next. So we're already at the stage in some of the progressive agencies where they're, they're taking text 911 mm. calls. The next step from there, and it's nationwide, is um, video or pictures. And from a trauma standpoint, in my opinion, the industry is still working in 80s mental health technology, if you will, and they're getting ready to get a dose of what. Uh, maybe 2010 or 2012 technology will bring with photographs and live video. Wow. Uh, so it used to be one thing to hear the beating or to see the oh. the uh, the bad car accident or whatever, or to hear the bad car accident and the people screaming. It's going to be something else to see the kind of blood and guts that, um, you know, for lack of a better term, I don't mean to desensitize it, but... Um,
0: Is it going to be worse or better?
1: I think it's going to be worse because we're still behind the eight ball and we're still behind the eight ball in, 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 um, classifying these people for what they do for the level of work they do or the level level of trauma that they endure. So when you, when you drop that on them, I think it's personally, I think it's just a whole new wave of trauma and now we're going to dump all this like visual trauma on them. I think it's going to have, An even worse effect on the retention problem that we already have.
0: I suppose the only upside is if the person calling can't speak or something, or if it's a DV, then the call taker can maybe see what's going on. And right, I mean, yeah,
1: that's that's. Oh, listen, there are plenty of advantages when you when you think about it. not knowing what equipment to send from a fire standpoint, like but being able to see the crash, that it's a rollover or the or the the car is wrapped around a pole and you know you're gonna need extrication equipment and um you know, or the helicopter or whatever, you know, something um it's gonna save lives in the sense that it's gonna cut a lot of that time down. It's gonna cut some of the response time down because it's not like somebody needs to get there, do an assessment and then decide what else needs to come. There's plenty of benefit to next gen 911 and plenty of benefit to the photographic part of it and video part of it. It's just the human aspect, the human element of people who aren't used to looking at this kind of stuff that are now thrust into this position that they have to. Right.
0: Well, they need some training and preparation, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. If uh, you would do, Favor of looking into the just Google 911 Saves Act. Okay, but essentially it's to reclassify uh, emergency call takers or telecommunicators, and it's been it's made it through its rounds in the House, and I think it's it's being held up in the Senate or vice versa. It might be tucked in uh, in another bill somewhere, uh, but it's been about two years. You know, it it, it does seem that. You know, if it's a first responder issue, like some sometimes that legislation gets pushed through pretty quickly, but here we've been waiting two years for, for someone just to acknowledge these, <laughs> these people that to reclassify them in, in by OSHA standards or by, uh, by federal standards so that they're not considered clerical because they're not, they're not, they don't do the same job as the records clerk and they don't do the same job as the Chief of police's secretary. They don't do the same job as the accounting people. So I really feel that getting involved and sending a letter to your uh, local representative to kind of call more attention to it, for some reason, this bill just hasn't made it through.
0: Okay, tell me again what it's called
1: 911 Saves, S A V E S. It was brought to the floor, I think, by Norma Torres, who I do know that she was a 911 operator before she was elected. So it's, it's kind of an interesting story there, but nobody's doing anything about it because there's no passion behind it. And, 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 and quite honestly, they just assume, well, well, what do you mean that they're first responders, they they get the same retirement, they get the same mental health, you know? No, they don't. Like, I think there's a, there is a broad assumption that these people are treated on the same level and they're not. They, they, right. are, they are mistreated, in my opinion.
0: I don't think most people ever even think of the dispatcher or the 911 call taker until you're calling 911. Right. And there's no way to understand unless someone like you shares the insight of what they experience. So this is an actionable thing you can do to support 911 and dispatch. Yes. I do think that this kind of event also we should talk about all our first responders and what is it like to police in a weather disaster like this?
1: It's a whole lot of wait and see. I'll be real honest with you. I got a very different perspective this time because now I'm a first responder husband. I'm a retired mm. guy. I haven't seen too many hurricanes from the couch. Uh, And this one I got to watch and I had to send, uh, you know, my fiance off to work and she stayed overnight in a shelter. You know, that's generally what happens is from uh, law enforcement standpoint, you're going to be sheltered overnight somewhere so you can deploy to the worst areas. I, I, you know, I was at uh, Raymond James Stadium during Hurricane Irma, you know, and you stay there for quite near 24 hours. It's just a big structure that could probably withstand the hurricane Uh, this time around. She left for work and and I got to see the other side of it. Like, is
0: she a police officer? Yeah, she is. Oh, cool. Um,
1: <laughs> she's a sergeant. She works in the uh, child protection. Wow. Um, it hit home because I had to take those kind of things into account when I was a, a supervisor. But, you know, it's an extra sensitive time when you as an officer look around your house and you take inventory of what's there and you kiss your loved ones goodbye knowing that neither may be there when you come back. I mean, like you're, and, and that's what we're dealing with in South Florida. First responders are, are people, they live in homes. And some of those homes had the roofs ripped off or the, the uh, been flooded out. So while they're out risking their lives, you know, their families are either sheltered somewhere safely, hopefully, or, or maybe not, you know, their homes are being decimated and, and, that's a helpless feeling
0: so you de- essentially deploy to a location so is this like 24 hour shifts or is it yes okay and so yeah, so,
1: so it's it's probably d- depending on where you are what agency you work for or you know if you're in a coastal area or whatever you're likely going to spend 24 hours working and you know when i say you 24 hours working 24 hours available to work you, you, we didn't stay up all night I take that back. We we stayed up all night for Hurricane Irma. We we didn't need to, but we did. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody's watching the the storm. I mean, we're all very interested in what's going on. I, you're probably going to show up to a marshaling area or some type of secure facility, like maybe they'll they'll give us a wing of a school or something to that effect. That's hurricane proof. You know, we're just strategically placing assets, as in. Four by four or pickup trucks or large equipment, chainsaw teams, people ready to direct traffic or do whatever, and they've got to be just kind of carefully plotted all over the the county because we don't know what roads are going to be washed out or we don't know what roads are going to have trees that have fallen. So you're in for a very long day. I think we ended up working you know 24 or 36 hours that day with with rest periods in there, but that's essentially what happens. They're just placed strategically all over the the county.
0: <laughs> Here you are, police officers, and you're getting called to save people who are in situations that are not survivable, and you're human beings, and just because it says police on your back, you've right. got to go wade into six feet of water to try to save yeah, somebody.
1: somebody. When it's safe to do so, though. Yeah. So, what, what we don't want to do is uh, create more victims. So... We won't respond during the storm, like I said. If 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 the wind is of a certain, there are certain criteria that we're not going to respond. And and when people call nine one one or they, you know, most of the people are calling nine one one just to report wind damage or, you know, there's a tree that's fallen over, on, you know, I mean, there's not a whole lot that can be done at that moment. So the acute, you know, cases, uh, there's usually a, some type of executive staff or command staff that is making that decision. Are we, are we going to risk people going to try to help them or not? and more often you know i'd say 9 times out of 10 it's it's a knot until the the wind can die down or until the storm can die down and then at that point yes there are times when you know you're you're walking with a john boat through the middle of the the same street that you drove down yesterday to get to the to the same house, you know, it's, it's kind of a surreal experience, but, you know, we're a law enforcement agency first, but, uh, emergency management is, is Mm. the business we're in. So,
0: well, I also wanted to ask too, I assume that the criminals don't take the day off just because there's a hurricane, right? You're, you're,
1: You're right. Uh, that is one of the reasons of, of issuing a state of emergency for an area, uh, because there are enhanced criminal penalties for looting and. Okay. and and for theft and for, you know, so during an emergency, it, it it kind of becomes, you know, what I, a term I made up, it becomes a super felony. So, you know, I think if you're dumb enough to risk that. But um, looting
0: does go on. I've seen some photos online of kids getting arrested, but you know, DVs go on, you know, homicides uh, go on. So it's like how you can't, you're kind of in this, I don't know what surreal place where I'm assuming you cannot respond to those calls.
1: You you just hope and pray that everybody is kind of distracted by the storm. And then there are just the, the, uh, you know, there's nothing routine, but there are the routine medical emergencies that, you know, uh, when you're looking outside and you're, you think the world's caving in on you and you're, having chest pains. I mean, yeah. it's it's daunting and, it, and yeah. it's it's tough for decision makers to decide whether we're going to go save or not, or, or risk yeah. our own people and create more victims or, you know, or, or are we listening to a casualty on the phone?
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, all the more reason to value our first responders. It's, uh, I really wanted to understand what it's like to be going through this I know there's an organization you work with called Team South Florida that has stepped up during this crisis to help first responders dealing with the aftermath of this storm. So tell me about Team South Florida. Team
1: South Florida is a 501c3 and our primary mission is to honor those law enforcement officers who are actually killed in the line of duty and by supporting their agencies and their families. And we also want to try to bridge the gap between law enforcement and, and the community. But what that also means is like in a time of need like this uh who's who's minding the first responders the the first responders are out first responding it's an all volunteer organization that just decided to to take the be the lightning rod take donations be the the central point to um you know just communicate with the people who have boots on the ground and say, hey, show us where the cops, the firefighters, the dispatchers, the military people, the ones that are most affected, and we'll get supplies to them. It's its not to exclude the rest of the public. The rest of the public is being served by the exact same first responders. This, though, is a little bit more uh, of a benevolence organization, they're just kind of looking out to make sure. And even if it's just you know coloring books or, or something for the kids, I mean, it, it's a daunting task to be a first responder and be out helping rebuild the community, knowing your family's at home in a in a a, a a fist fight over the phone with an insurance company trying to get a roof put back on. You know, it's 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 about providing comfort to first responder and first responder families.
0: And I I know you can find um I've seen team south florida posting on Instagram about what they're doing is there anywhere else you can find them what they're doing and how to support them
1: teamsouthflorida.org is the website uh they are on Facebook as team south florida they're on uh Instagram as you said as team south florida uh there's a flyer going around that that you know, give suggestions of what you can donate and how there's an Amazon list, for instance, a, a link. So you don't have to be local, but we make sure that, that whatever's being donated gets to where it needs to go.
0: That's great. So, but so importantly, this is they are supporting first responders during this time in whatever ways they need.
1: Yeah, they're, they're, they're doing that. And then just, just bear in mind, like it's a heavy load for a lot of those people because it's mostly cops or or law enforcement family. And in the meantime, we've had law enforcement deaths. You know, we we had a a 21 year old kid who was sadly, uh, you know, I call him a 21 year old kid. He was a deputy sheriff. He was, he was shot and killed up here in in Polk County or down here in Polk County. And recently, um, right? Yeah. The day before yesterday. And, and oh, that's, that when, oh, God. Yeah, that's when team South Florida goes into action. I mean, that that's exactly what they do. They, they make sure that, you know, there's a a large showing at the funeral, but you know, they show support by doing that and um, making sure that they just surround the family with love and comfort. And um, you know, when there's distractions like a hurricane, it's, it just doesn't make life any easier for anybody, especially in an all volunteer organization.
0: How was this deputy shot?
1: He was doing, uh, he was helped serving a drug a warrant. warrant. Uh, it was, I'm sorry, it wasn't a drug warrant. It was a warrant for somebody who was wanted for drug possession or drug trafficking. And, uh, the person presented some type of firearm and, uh, another deputy sheriff shot at the person and, and it went through the wall and, uh, unfortunately struck this deputy in, in, you know, the wrong spot. And, um, just, Look, if you see the guy's picture, you'll understand what I mean. It's, it's heartbreaking to look at this 21 year old kid's picture. He's, he's holding two small children. He's got a beautiful, bright smile. And, you know, he was out there risking his life uh, and, and, and it was taken from us.
0: Um, Well, let's say his name. What is his name?
1: And his name was Blaine Lane and he was killed on October 4th, 2022 this wasn't just the tragedy of a law enforcement officer dying or a 21 year old kid losing his life. This was a total tragedy. Right.
0: So the officer who fired has to be living with.
1: Right. Right. And, and, and never even know. I, and I, you know, I mean, just, I don't know. I wasn't there, but like, I I think he was shot in the shoulder and it just traveled the wrong path. I mean, Mm -hmm. and, and killed by friendly fire. You know, in the wrong place, just like, I'm at a loss for words. Like, how do you, how does that happen? But it happens.
0: That is really sad. I'm very sorry to hear that. My heart goes out to Polk County Deputy Lane's family and loved ones and the Polk County Sheriff's Office. Well, Drew, thank you for being here today. Thank you for your insight on dispatchers and nine one one call takers, the role in something like this and what they go through every day. Thank you also for the insight on law enforcement, what it's and what it's like to be involved in a natural disaster like this. So thank you for
1: giving me the opportunity to be the voice. I mean, uh, I, I wasn't. I, I do feel uh, helpless sometimes myself because I wasn't able to, to you know, <laughs> be part of the ball game. But I, I can certainly help in other ways.
0: Before I let you go, let's promote what Drew Breezy's is doing.
1: <laughs> All right, perfect. <laughs> I, I appear on uh, a video podcast known as Failure to Stop from time to time. I'm part of the Failure to Stop family. We're doing our best to provide kind of short form content on YouTube. So if you go to the Failure to Stop channel on YouTube, that's where you can find some of my informational videos, some of my partner Eric's uh, rants, and occasionally I'll I'll guest host uh, for a guy named Mike the Cop. So I, I'm on the podcast as well. But the failure to stop YouTube channel is, um, you know, it's where society meets law enforcement. And it's uh, sometimes a lighthearted look. But, uh, you know, other times it's a heavier breakdown of, of incidents that happen in law enforcement. And you know, we're not ones to uh, just always be cheerleaders. We can we can lend a critical eye at times, but you don't have to be a cop to listen. It's uh, actually designed for citizens just as well.
0: Well, I think the, the one I most recently listened to is about serving a warrant or writing a warrant.
1: Yeah, a search warrant. Search warrant. I did the, I, I kind of broke down uh, how to write a search warrant. I just use an example, like if, if I were to write the, uh, the Walter White search warrant from Breaking Bad. This is how I would do it. And I, I just fathomed up, you know, I made up an investigation, but
0: yeah, that was great. Uh,
1: I, I just broke down the, uh, there was a shooting in Tucson where a guy almost killed a police canine. And, Mm -hmm. um, I can lend that perspective after 29 years of, of kind of what they're thinking in the car Mm -hmm. as that guy is walking out of the convenience store, like Why are you going to make the arrest here? Or what are the things that are being considered? And and why did they shoot when they shot? And those kinds of things.
0: Okay. Well, I recommend it. It's very good. I'll put your Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn information in the episode notes as I did last time. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Good to see you. Good to see you. In addition to links to Drew Breezy's social media content, I will also include links to Team South Florida's website and their social media so you can read about all the good work they do. And if you are so inclined, make a donation to help them in their efforts. I also followed Drew's request to research the 911 SAVES Act. I found a press release on Congresswoman Norma Torres' website and I will include the link to that as well. And I wanna add that many of the law enforcement officers I've spoken to in the course of the podcast have worked through natural disasters ranging from wildfires, to hurricanes, tornadoes, blizzards, earthquakes, anything you can imagine. It's part of the job the rest of us don't often think about. So I want to add my thank you to all first responders, those we see and those we don't, for what you do in extreme circumstances like this and for what you do every day to protect the rest of us. Thanks as always for tuning in, until next time.